everybody. Welcome to the podcast that goes snicked, episode 5. This is your host, Jason. Basically, this episode, we are more or less covering Wolverine and all his temperate comic books of various nature. And uh, we'll get to it. Alright, here we go. Okay, so as usual, we're going to jump right into the main Wolverine book. We have issue 313. I'm actually doing this the night that it came out. So all of this is going to be super fresh. Or as Outcast would say, so fresh and so clean. Alright, credits. We have Jeff Loeb writing. Simone Bianchi is doing the art. Simone Peruzzi is doing the colors. Comic Crafts, Albert Deschesny doing the letters. And the cover is by Bianchi and Peruzzi. There's actually a variant cover by Art Adams and Jason Keith I haven't seen yet. I'll be uh, Googling that later. That sounds interesting. As we've had in the other parts of the story, we have the nice uh, horizontal panel recap to start off the issue. And it's nice and succinct. Sabretooth is alive. Remus is making an alliance. Romulus. Romulus. I got really Welsh there for a second. Romulus is sharing secrets. And Wolverine. Dot, dot, dot. Wolverine has had enough. It ends tonight. Sabretooth Reborn, Chapter 4, Revolution. Alright, so here's the gist of this issue. Uh, remember we ended off last time with Romulus revealing the quote-unquote truth that Weapon X, as it stands in regards to Wolverine, is all Wolverine's choice. That Logan decided to do it all himself. He was in charge of it. All these other people are supposed to kind of follow suit after him. So basically that's where we start. Romulus has just come out. He has adamantium on his claws. And so we start off with a brawl at Romulus's fortress. Um, art by Bianchi, again, is very beautiful. All these fights are great. We have on the couple pages in a really nice full page, double page splash. I really like the sparks of the uh, adamantium on adamantium action we got going on here. The colors are really nice too. But basically, um, 
while they're fighting, Romulus continues to taunt Wolverine with the new quote-unquote truth. They fight for a while, and the Sabretooth attacks from behind, so Wolverine gets tag-teamed. And he tells Romulus to kill him, but Romulus says, no, we're not going to kill him. We're going to make him remember. And then he stabs Wolverine through the face. A really nice panel there. Kind of violent, but a very nicely depicted. And he quotes, Kun sum eris. And I don't know if that phrase evokes a flashback or if the combination of the phrase and getting cut through the face. I'm not real sure exactly how Romulus is able to control this memory popping up, but that's the indication that I seem I seem to be getting. That's what I'm taking from these panels is that Romulus is controlling this flashback in Wolverine's memory. Basically, we have Wolverine with Romulus, Remus, and Sabretooth outside of a Weapon X facility. And they kind of decide it's theirs for the taking. But they're confronted by Department H. We get, I don't know if all these guys are new or some of them have been seen before. I don't recall them, but I don't claim to have a perfect memory, so they could have been. We have Electrode. Savage, Bayonet, and Black Wolf. And basically they say you can't do this. But Wolverine massacres them all. Pretty violently with his uh, blade. Um, a really nice little fight scene there. Though it's pretty one-sided. Not much of a fight. But Wolverine is the best there is at what he does. So that's what we get. And so basically Wolverine then after they do that, she get, he gives Remus the sword. Says there's no what good is an empire if you have nobody to share it with. And Romulus says We hope to be lucky enough to become what you will be, kind of using that Latin quote. And then Wolverine we go back to the present. And Wolverine quotes Quudsum Eris, but he says that he did some research and it's not a call to arms, it's not a battle cry, but it's really just a grave marker on a tombstone. I am what you will be. Actually, quite philosophical that way. And he says, the last laugh from a rotted corpse. And then he stands up, pops his claws, but I ain't dead yet. He declares to himself, he's better than Romulus. Then the cavalry shows up, uh, Cloak and Dagger uh, jump in with uh, Remus. And there's a big fight in the last few pages. It's really nice. Lots of good kick-butt action. And then Sabretooth decides that he doesn't usually have a plan B, but he's smartened up, which is in character of what we've seen since his return. He's a little bit more intelligent. And he decides to blow everything up. So Wolverine yells at Cloak to teleport everybody out. He gets Remus and Dagger, who he teleported in, and teleports them out. And the rest blow up. Um, Wolverine lands in some water, I guess like off the cliff, with Sabretooth and Romulus. He sees Sabretooth getting away. He tries to go after him, and Romulus grabs him by the ankle underwater. And he... It talks about how the thing that Romulus doesn't remember is that healing factor or no, you have to get used to the weight of all the adamantium, which he obviously hasn't yet, so he's sinking. 
Wolverine puts him in a chokehold, blacks out. He captures him and sends him to the raft. Then we switch <laughs> to an island in the sun. Got a little Weezer concert going on here. And um, basically Wolverine decides that, you know, he doesn't know what Romulus told him was true or if they're implanted memories that, you know, he is a big manipulator. But what's real, what's not, he doesn't know. But you know what? Screw it. I can't live in the past. I have to live in the future. And he says, until a situation presents itself otherwise, which we all know is comic foreshadowing that it will present itself otherwise. And we'll have to deal with this again at some point. But then we get another flashback to Romulus talking to the Weapon X facilitator guy while Wolverine's still in the tube. And he says to erase all his memories, especially all those involving his sister. And then, basically, Wolverine decides, you know what? To hell with it. I don't know if this is real or not, but I deserve a happy ending. And he makes out with Remus on the beach. The end. And next issue, we have Indiana Jones Wolverine. So, that should be interesting. Talk more about that when it comes out, obviously. So, um... (laughs) I gotta say, I, I talked earlier episodes about how this art kind of represents everything I love about comics about you know making me think outside the book think about when I'm not reading wondering what's going on working theories and questions in my head all that stuff that I love that's why I read this ending is kind of everything I don't like about big events um it's kind of a lame let down ending overall and I'll go more into why I think that in a minute but it's kind of like all the Marvel crossovers. They're all really, really awesome stories, but as much as they talk about changing the status quo, nothing really changes that much. And so the endings are always a little bit of a letdown because, and that's that's kind of the drawback. There's a lot of bonuses to, to comics being serial in nature. That's kind of the drawback to having a serial idea, you know, in comics or TV series or whatever. But especially in comics, because there's really no foreseeable ending most of the time. I know sometimes there's, like, series and characters that the writers have an ending in sight, and they work up to that ending, and that's it. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. I would have said Watchmen, but now we have all these new stories. But especially with characters like Wolverine, who obviously are going to go on for a long time and probably, you know, Wolverine and Spider-Man will probably always be around as long as Marvel was doing superhero comic books. And you can kind of count on that. And even if they, something were to happen to them, it would be like the couple of times that Bruce Wayne has died, eventually he'll come back. Because, I mean, you just, you don't have Marvel comics without those two characters. And you can say what you want about the, uh, the big three and the Avengers and this valid, but I don't know. You just, you don't, if you're not selling a Wolverine book every month, you know, you're going to be hurting. And so in that regard, you know, I, I questioned 
when Romulus first made the big reveal about Wolverine being in charge of Weapon X, I questioned whether Jeff Loeb really had the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, with Wolverine. And I think this ending just kind of shows that you can't really play for keeps, that you can't change it too much. So I think things are going to change. I, I don't think the story is over as casually as it ends. Um, I just kind of don't believe that. My fear is that I don't know. I get. Did it, I, I need to go look online. If if Bun is going to be the regular writer for a while, like if he's doing an arc or if he's just doing a standalone issue next issue, but I'm not. As far as I'm aware, Jeff Loeb is not going to be like a regular writer, and so the problem is, I don't know. I mean, someone's going to pick up these pieces, and I just hope that it's someone really good. Um, it won't be Jason Aaron because he already kind of did his stint on Wolverine and I think he's moving on to Thor after he gets done with Hulk and of course he'll still do Wolverine and the X-Men. So I don't know. I guess the problem is like this is open. Like this is out there. It's a story element. It's kind of a big deal as much as the ending of this story of this issue makes it seem like it's not. It is or should be. And it's the cat's out of the bag, or the Wolverine's out of the bag. And so something's going to happen with it, and I just have to trust that it'll be something really cool. And I don't know when, how far down the road. It could be a while, and that's cool. That's fine if it is. Um, I guess the other thing is I, I agree with... You know, there's two things Wolverine says that I agree with. He's, he talks about how he can't live in the past. He has to move on to the future. And that's kind of been a struggle with Wolverine ever since he got all his memories back after House of M. And that he does have to move forward. He can't live in the past. The past has defined him for so long, both as, as a character from a reader standpoint and as a character as a character standpoint, it's time to kind of move past that. And they have been the last couple of years, and that's been really cool. So I agree with him making that statement. And I agree that he does also deserve a happy ending. Um, you know, he's had a rough life as a comic book character, and he does deserve for his stories to end well from time to time. I guess the thing I don't agree with is why I think both of those are true. He just... The way it comes off in this story, the way the writing comes off, is Wolverine's a lot of things, and he can move forward, and he can enjoy those moments of happiness, but of all the things that Wolverine is, he's never been ho-hum in his attitude. And this, the end of this book just seems really like, oh, well, maybe Romulus is telling the truth, maybe he's not, but nah, let's have a luau. I don't know, that just, it, it strikes me a little bit as out of character for Logan. Um, I don't know, what do y'all think? Uh, do you agree with that, disagree with that? Do you think he's finally just that centered and balanced and this is kind of what we're going to have? Or is this kind of a, oh crap, I got in this story and, okay, yeah, great, send him to an island and Wolverine can be okay with everything until it comes back to bite him in the butt later. And we'll just, we'll, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, send that to the editor. I don't know, that's kind of a, kind of pessimistic and sardonic, but that's kind of how these stories feel sometimes. Um, 
The other thing I really don't like is that, you know, Romulus put himself through the Weapon X treatment to get adamantium claws and then try to kind of become like Wolverine. If, if Romulus is telling the truth, which I'm still not sure if he is either, but if he is, then kind of the idea was Wolverine would be the first and there would be others to follow. And so Romulus is kind of fulfilling his destiny, so to speak, and finally, like, making the transformation to be more like Wolverine. And that being said, yes, Wolverine's right. He's not used to having the adamantium skeleton. There's things he has to adapt to with his healing factor, his nature, his fighting style, etc., etc., the problem is, I see Romulus as not being as experienced as Wolverine, but he seems to be maybe have a little bit more brute strength. And definitely is is pretty smart um, for all the mechanic, machine, 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 I don't know how to say that word, all the, uh, the plans he's done in the backgrounds of civilizations and whatnot for you know, thousands of years for millennia. He's got some intelligence. I don't believe for a second that the Raft, no matter what kind of fancy metal gloves they have, can hold Romulus. And that, to me... And the thing is, I don't believe that Wolverine would believe that. And so that part kind of bothers me that he seems very content to just ship him off to the Raft and leave him there. And even says, because he knows he won't be going anywhere for a while. And I, just, I don't know, I kind of called BS on that. I know for a fact that Wolverine can get out. And so I'm pretty sure Romulus could too, and fairly quickly. So, again, just seems really casual. Almost too casual for how the rest of the story was. Yeah, I don't know. The story was awesome. All, all the parts were great. The ending left a little bit to be desired, and we'll just see where it goes. I refuse to believe, I guess to me, like, why, okay, if this is a real memory, why, I, well, I would ask why it was suppressed even after Wolverine got his memories back, but we've had some other stuff that's kind of gradually been reintroduced back to his memory, uh, the Dr. Rot storyline the last one is kind of evidence of that so I guess I can't argue with that too much so I guess there is like a gradual integration of his memories and it's very possible that there were blocks that Romulus put in if he did implant this if he manipulated Weapon X and not Wolverine he could have implanted fake memories and maybe because there's a there's a possibility like if Romulus true to form is wanting Wolverine to be his heir like he and kind of stated when he first came on the scene and maybe this whole thing can just be a ploy to get Wolverine to kind of fall back into line and so maybe Wolverine wasn't really the mastermind but Romulus is just messing with him and I didn't really expect this art to necessarily answer that so that part I'm okay with I'm okay with not knowing for sure whether the memories are real or implanted by Romulus, whether Wolverine is really in charge of Weapon X or not. I'm okay with not knowing that. I'm just not okay with how casual Wolverine was. I mean, I guess that's really like my main gripe, my main thing that kind of bothers me. In the in the grand picture of, of Wolverine's past, I mean, this is like, 
top two or three revelation if this is true. I mean, this memory is like is cataclysmic, as influential, as important as like the stuff we got in the origin series when he first popped his claws. Realizing that he went through the Weapon X in general is another huge moment. And to me, this one is like that big. Like, if Wolverine really is the mastermind behind Weapon X and doing this to himself, like, that's really, really huge. And the fact that he just kind of wants to brush it under the rug just seems really out of character. This is not like, oh, I found out that me and Sabretooth and Mystique were on a team and we did something and uh, I should try to atone for it. I mean, this is huge with far-reaching implications and I don't know. I'm sure it'll get picked up somewhere and I'm okay with not knowing what the actual truth is yet. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. I've said, I've said enough about it. It's a great story. The ending was a little bit eh, but it was still really good. Um, I'm going to give the book two claws. And I look forward to where we see some of this come back in the future. In the, you know, the coming months and years. What elements of this story will be kind of reintroduced. So, um, alright, well, moving on. And now we come to our segment called, And the X-Men. We have Wolverine and the X-Men number 16. And after our one-issue reprieve, 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 I just repeat them back and forth until one sounds right. <laughs> I won't really do that. Uh, after our our one-issue return to actually having Wolverine in the book that has his name on it, we're back to no Wolverine. So uh, next. Just kidding. I'll go over it briefly. Basically, the issue is a look into the head of the kid, and he's literally a kid, who runs the Hellfire Club named Cade Kilgore. He was introduced a little while back, uh, I think, in this comic. And basically, he now runs the Hellfire Club and is hell-bent on destroying the X-Men. So we get some of his background and, I guess, origin or whatever. And here's what you need to know. Kane Kilgore is one jacked up dude. He's a messed up kid. He had a messed up dad. He killed his dad and all the rest of the Hellfire Club. And took it over and got some other messed up kids and they started a new... Hellfire Club Jr. They make a bunch of Sentinels and they really, really hate mutants and want to kill all the X-Men. And that's about it. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of being snarky, but it actually was a pretty good issue. Um, let's see. It was written by Jason Aaron. You know, I like that. Art by Chris Boccolo. He uh, was a penciler and the colorist. And I like Boccolo. It was inked by Jim Townsend, Jaime Mendoza, and Al Vey. And lettered by Chris Eliopoulos. 
and the cover by was by Chris Bacalo and Tim Townsend. And it's a nice Bacalo cover, uh, pretty much what you get from a Bacalo cover, but good colors. I like, uh, one of the things I liked is on the cover, and it was also cool when it was in the issue, is that Kay Kilgore was running around doing all this mayhem as an old, like one of those aluminum lunch boxes with the Fantastic Four on it. I thought that was pretty clever. Um, yeah, so, you know, that was pretty much it. But I don't mean to downplay it too much. It was a good issue, and I think, but it's basically just a setup issue. I'm assuming they you know, kind of end up the issue where they break out of prison because the Phoenix Five put them in prison because they busted up a Sentinel factory. Which, by the way, I like. Uh, Kane has is giving a tour of the factory to world leaders, and they all have like these black hoods on. It's very visually cool. I mean, it kind of looks like the KKK, and that's not cool because those guys are losers, but. I don't know, it makes kind of the world leaders who are anti-mutant. And kind of, it kind of ties in, like, their hatred. Like, these are leaders of countries that are buying sentinels to destroy mutants. You know, kind of an oppressive behavior. So it makes sense that their mask kind of either subtly or not so subtly reflects that of people who also bear the standard of hatred and oppression. So there you go. Um, what was I saying about the watch? Oh, so, they, so the Phoenix Five bust up the factory and they send them all to Rikers Island to go to jail because Scott doesn't want to kill children. So he doesn't want to kill them, so he sends them to jail. They break out and they're headed for the Jean Grey School of Learning. So I'm assuming that's where we're going to pick up next time. No, it says next dupe, which is a little slime renewed. So I'm gonna guess he'll have something important to do. And we do get a cool picture of uh, the Uncanny Avengers promo, like the actual promo. Like we had that one that Quesada drew that had a whole bunch of people in it. But I think what it looks like this team will actually be is Captain America, Wolverine. Scarlet Witch, Rogue, Thor, and Havoc. And then again, that's by Rick Remender and John Cassidy. So that could be pretty interesting. Definitely be checking that out. So, anyway, uh, overall, uh, it, it does feel like a setup issue, but it was a pretty good setup issue. I'm going to give it two claws. And that's all I have to say about that. And now it's time for our AVX update. Woohoo! Okay, in AVX 11, the X Men finally find their brains and join forces with the Avengers to try to take out the Phoenix because they realize the Phoenix is bad. Oh. So, Professor X decides he's going to try to mentally ease Cyclops back from the Phoenix Cliff, but it doesn't really work. And Cyclops decides he's going to take 
the last half of the Phoenix power from Emma Frost so that he can be Phoenix all by himself and finish the war. Wolverine asks for the Hulk to toss him at Cyclops and Hulk obliges and throws him and Wolverine has his claws out. He's going to slice and dice. But alas, Cyclops uses the Phoenix fire. And we get a Wolverine shish kebab with Phoenix flavored barbecue sauce. Cyclops then is labeled the Dark Phoenix by Beast. And that is our AVX update. Woohoo! Okay, so next we have Astonishing X-Men number 54. It's going to be written by Marjorie Liu, drawn by Mike Perkins. Oh no, just art, so I guess he did everything. Mike Perkins, uh, J. David Ramos is a colorist, VCs Joe Caramagna is a letterer, and the cover is by Phil Noto. Cover's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Besides the fact that it has karma on it. <laughs> I don't really know what's going on. You know, she has that Atari-looking thing she does when she uses her mental powers. We have a very communist thing around her, I guess, to represent where she comes from. I'm not really sure what that's about, but it looks cool. It's a nice cover. So the recap... The Astonishing X-Men have trapped Mrs. Bad Guy from because she made the uh, nanoworms that infected she used to control karma and to blow up Wolverine's intestines because she couldn't just give him Taco Bell to do that. Um, anyway, they, they go to one of her factories and... They try to free the slaves there, but it triggers an explosion. They get buried underground. That's where we left off. So, quickly, we have um, the X-Men minus Wolverine buried in this factory in Cecilia's force field. Uh, She eventually finds the willpower to kind of expand it so they can get out. Mrs. Bad Guy finds them. And we find out, and the rest of the X-Men, that this is Karma's half-sister. And now all the X-Men have the nanoworms inside of them, because they were in the air. You'll notice the bad guy has a gas mask on. And basically she wants the X-Men to prove her superiority again. Kind of re-emphasizes the... If I can take over the X-Men, think how much money I can make with this stuff because everybody will want it. And she basically tells the X-Men as a show of power, they are going to take over Madripoor for her. And if they don't, she will affect all of New York and blow it up. And the X-Men question, why won't she just do that anyway? And she said she doesn't want to be a terrorist. She'd rather be a businesswoman. Then we have a scene where Patch, or our our guy Wolverine with the eye patch on, shows up. And this is really cool. They call back a little birdie gives him a lead. And we are to assume, or I'm assuming, that it's karma like it was from the last time. So the rest of the X-Men are in Madripoor. 
And Iceman and Northstar have an ethical squabble about whether they should actually try to take over Madripoor or not. And Iceman falls in some lava. And that's kind of the short version there. So I gotta say this, uh... This opening sequence is really cool. We get a full page of black with a tiny glow of the force field in the bottom left corner. The X-Men are kind of arguing with each other because they're all cramped inside this force field. Cecilia tells them to shut up. She has to concentrate. She starts yelling at them. No, I do not want my computer to restart. I will postpone this four hours. And basically, Gambit wakes up and whispers in her ear that she can do it. And she decides, you know, you're right. I've survived too much. We're not going to die in this hole. And with a nice show of willpower, gradually keeps expanding the force field until it breaks through the rubble. Then you get a nice little half page of the X-Men kind of breaking through on an ice slide. And then there's some grenades tossed in. North Star gets rid of them. They blow up. And the bad guy's here. You know, um, we find out that it's Karma's half-sister, which I don't really care about. Because I don't care about Karma. Um, Basically, she exerts herself and proves that they all have nanoworms by making North Star go blind. And so the X-Men go to Madripoor to take the bad guy up on her deal. And there's some discussion. Oh, Gambit drops a card with a hole in it on top of Tiger Tiger. He was kind of running Madripoor's like police force right now. We know that from other issues of Wolverine and stuff. And so basically, North Star and Iceman have a big argument when they meet Tiger Tiger. And basically, North Star is like, just bomb Madripoor, terrify the people so much they give up without a fight. Because he doesn't want to hurt anybody, but he doesn't feel like they can give in. Because he doesn't, he fears for Kyle's life. Iceman accuses him of being selfish and is just worried about his eyes. And he also takes the moral high road and basically says that we're not going to do this. We're not going to kind of the we're not going to negotiate with terrorist approach. Um, and then kind of argue over it. War Warbird. I always want to say war board for some reason. Warbird says that there have to be casualties sometimes. And then Cecilia tries to break up the fight. (laughs) Warbird also says, no, Northstar and Iceman need to fight. It's better for their friendship. But Northstar moves a little bit too fast and knocks Iceman into a vat of lava. And that, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, The cover for the next issue looks really cool. It's basically... The X-Men in an ammo belt about to be loaded into a gun. Kind of like the X-Men or the bullets, which kind of fits this issue. So, I gotta say, um, I like the idea still. It's a carryover from last issue, but 
I like the idea of the bad guy using the X-Men to kind of show, hey, if I can do this to the X-Men, think what I can do for you. Kind of, you know, it's showing that the X-Men are still kind of at the top of the food chain. Or at least they were. Now, I guess the nanoworms are at the top of the food chain. Though a pessimist would argue that worms are always at the top of the food chain. But, you know, whatever. Um, Alright, so... <laughs> I'm wondering if there's really much of an argument among fandom on who's right here, North Star or Iceman. Uh, which, by the way, North Star kind of goes back to old school, annoying North Star, and when he gets real petty, and part of the argument, he says that Iceman can't even get a girlfriend. Which, we were kind of getting a little bit more mature North Star. He was still cocky and brash, but not as ridiculously lame as in the past. I was actually starting to really like him, and this kind of made him take a step back in my esteem. But anyway, uh, the point, the point, stick to the point. I'm wondering, you know, what you guys think about the argument between North Star and Iceman. Are we really desperate enough that we feel like we can't find a way to beat this bad guy, that we should just do what she wants? Or do we take the more hardline stance that Iceman takes that we don't negotiate with terrorists and we find a way to beat this no matter what, even if it means sacrificing ourselves? That we fight regardless. I'm going to admit I lean more towards the Iceman point of view. I think that you put your honor and dignity above your self-preservation. And so you don't subdue a whole city just to save yourselves or your friends or even another city. You fight for the chance that you can defeat this, I guess. But maybe you think I'm naive. So what do you guys think? Um... Leave a comment on the podcast or email me at snitcast at yahoo.com. That's S-N-I-K-T-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com. Wondering uh, what you guys think. What side you're on? Are the X-Men doing the right thing? Or should they know that Wolverine's coming, especially since Karma sent the bird? That, to me, is kind of the kicker. Because Karma sent that bird, if that's indeed what happened, and I think it is. When Patch arrived on shore, he's greeted by a bird like he was outside the van. And so Karma's taken this bird. She found Wolverine. So she knows Wolverine is on the island. And you have like the guy that can kick the most butt ever coming as a reinforcement. She should be standing up and voicing that between North Star and Iceman and saying, Hey, you know what, guys? Wolverine's here. And we have an upper hand. I mean, if Wolverine doesn't give you an upper hand, I don't know what does. So maybe we should listen to Iceman and, and maybe we can go along and pretend we're going to help my sister or half-sister. But we're not really going to. We're going to fight this because Wolverine's here. He's work. He's in communication with Hank and Kitty back home trying to figure out a way to disable these things. So we we fight the clock and we fight this and work it out. So karma by not standing up is just another reason I kind of find her a little bit annoying. Um, all right, so here here's my plea. I'm gonna write a dear Marjorie Lou. Here's what I want to see and not see next issue. Iceman's on the cover. I don't believe for a second he's dead. What I don't want to see is him come out of this like molten metal pit 
with some kind of augmented power. Iceman's cool the way he is, unless Marjorie Liu has thought of something that I just can't fathom that's really cool. I don't want to see him come out and like, oh, I can fire in ice. Or, I don't think she'd do anything that way, but that's just the first thing that came to mind. So I don't want to see that. What I do want to see is, yes, Tiger Tiger came over. But like, now Sabretooth is like the king of the underworld. And Madripoor is kind of, at least from what I remember of the most recent little Return of Sabretooth arc in Wolverine, not counting the Sabretooth Reborn, but when he kind of first showed up. Madripoor is kind of like one of his head bases. And so we better, I know we're kind of on Sabretooth Overload maybe because he's in Wolverine and he's in Uncanny X-Force, but if the X-Men are going to be in Madripoor where he's the crime boss and they're going to try to take over the city, I I better see some Sabretooth action before this arc is done. And they just kind of, unless they just kind of sneak in Madripoor, decide not to do anything and sneak out. And that's fine. But if there's any kind of fight or drama, I want to see Sabretooth involved. And I want to see Patch kick some butt. I always love the, the Patch stories of Madripoor. And even though we've already had two upcoming fights between Wolverine and Sabretooth, I can handle a third. That's not too much, I guess. As long as they're all done different in the context of the different stories, I'm cool with that. So... That's what I want from Marjorie Liu and the next issue or two is this, to see Sabretooth, to see some good patch action, and to not see Iceman have like some kind of augmented mutation. No, no, no. Don't do it. Fight the urge, if the urge is even there. So, alright, overall I'm going to give this issue two claws. I love the opening sequence. I still think the story has potential and there's some good character development. Um, So we'll see where it goes. But yeah, two claws for Astonishing X-Men 54. All right. Okay, so now we have Uncanny X-Force number 31. This is going to be written by Rick Remender. Art by Phil Noto. Colored by Frank Martin Jr. and Dean White. Lettered by VC's Corey Pettit. With the cover by Jerome Pena and Dean White. This cover is really sweet. Um, it looks like a poster, like a movie poster. And the brown tones are really nice. Like the brown, yellow, orangey thing going on. It looks really cool. This is... Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great cover. So we have um, the final execution, chapter seven. The writing, uh, remember, I've liked his run. So the writing here is pretty good, even maybe a, a slight step up for him, which is saying a lot. And the art by Phil Noto, and the and the whole art team in general is is pretty good. So we start off with a little Pulp Fiction-y scene three hours from now. And we have 
someone's beaten, battered body, I'm pretty sure it's Wolverine, cradling a female form, which maybe it's Psylocke, maybe it's not. And then we get this nice full page, full page spread of Evan in, the, in an apocalypse suit of armor. And it's very nicely rendered. The pencils, inks, and colors are all fantastic. It's a great little shot of him. Pretty badass looking. And so basically, we get the inference that in three hours from the start of this story, Evan will have the new brotherhood of evil mutants will have succeeded in turning Evan, and he's going to destroy X-Force, you know, to start. And who knows what after that. So, but then we switch to now. And we have X-Force coming back from the alternate future. And Deathlock is waiting for him. And he tells Wolverine, this is a great little exchange here. He tells Wolverine there are two things we must discuss. And we get our first snicked of the issue. And Wolverine says he has three adamantium answers. I thought, I thought that was awesome. Psylocke says cooler heads need to prevail. Deathlock tells X-Force that Evan has been taken to Genosha. Which, that's where they kidnapped him from. So I guess they never really went anywhere. All those little, that little road trip maybe was just mental. I'm not sure. But anyway, we have, they're going to fly off to find him. And Avis somehow is ship again, which I don't know if I really understand. Can she go back and forth? I got the impression that she became humanoid. I didn't realize she was still both. But I guess she is, because X-Force is in her as a ship. And they're on their way to Genosha to try to rescue Evan and Wolverine calls Beast and Beast is pissed. Wolverine says X-Force is taking care of it and Beast is like, that's what I'm afraid of. And he basically says, you know, I'm not going to just sit here while this brotherhood has one of my students, especially this student. So Beast knows like what's going on. Wolverine asks him to stay there and protect the school because he doesn't know what the Brotherhood's plans are and he needs somebody there he can trust to take care of everything and that's Beast. So there's this nice little bit of tension but still you know a trust to a certain level that you get a little bit of Beast kind of taking a stab at like I left Cyclops to get away from this kind of crap. He's like, listen to me very carefully. If any harm befalls a boy, I will personally see to it. You pay this time, all of you. So you get maybe a hint that some of this trust is being damaged between Beast and Wolverine, but it's still there. So then we switch to Sabretooth and Mystique in bed. And they kind of talk about how they might have an alternate plan, kind of allude that basically they want the Shadow King to push 
Evan over the edge into Apocalypse and then Mystique wants to convince Apocalypse to kill the Shadow King as revenge for kind of putting him through all this mental torment. So she intends to paint him out to be the bad guy from all sides and kind of take him out of the picture. Sabretooth talks about they're trying to figure out if they think Wolverine is still alive, and they're pretty sure he is, but they, they're under the impression that everybody else died in the explosion. And Sabretooth's waiting for Wolverine to try to come get revenge, because they feel like this time they'll finally beat him. Basically, then you switch to Evan in a room. He's kind of been locked in a room. And he's struggling with like the fact that he's been lied to by both Uncle Cluster, who's Phantom X, and Headmaster Logan. He feels like he doesn't know he can trust, and I guess they've left an old apocalypse suit of armor hanging on the wall for him. And he kind of looks at it and he says, maybe someone should hurt them. You know, referring to this broken trust. Then it looks like Phantom X runs in and Evan hugs him, but then he's dead. And it's just a skinless man, like, puppeteering him with his little skin things. It's kind of nasty, but... Anyway, him and Dawkins are messing, and they're all kind of messing with Evan. Trying to get him to go over the edge. And they're having some fun doing it. And Dawkins points to the costume and says, It's the real deal, Celestial Maid. One of Apocalypse's originals. It'll amplify your powers, make you a god. He says, Put it on and Shadow King can't keep you cut off from all these powers. Get revenge. So I guess everybody's kind of feeding him against Shadow King. And... He looks down, or Evan looks down, and Dawkins decides that he needs more time to think, and they leave Phantom X's corpse in there with him. So we get a weird exchange where Sabretooth comes up and wants to talk to Dawkins. I don't know. This is kind of weird. I think in some just exposition for the reader's sake, but it comes off a little bit awkward. And that, like, all through this story, you get the feeling that Dawkins pretty sold on what's going on. But I feel like in Sabretooth trying to explain the situation to the reader, it feels like he's trying to talk Dawkins into it, too. Like, saying, hey, you know, your dad's never paid attention to you. You need someone to be a real father figure for you. He helps all these other people, but he can't help you. He thinks that school makes him better. That being an Avenger makes up for all the stuff he's done. But why didn't he invite you to the school? I don't know. I feel like Sabretooth is just telling him all these things that Dawkins already thought of and already knows. And I understand that it's needed to move the story along, but I don't know. It feels like if they're going to do it this way, then maybe Dawkins should have expressed some doubt at some point or hesitation, but he hasn't really. Like, he's been as gung-ho a part of this new brotherhood as any of the other members, so I don't know. That's kind of my only thing, but it is interesting, and obviously it it points at some things that, that we know as Wolverine. 
and there is a certain sense of redemption and atonement in him trying to be a hero. But, you know, Sabretooth basically boils down to that no matter what he calls it, he's still just a killer like us. He's no different than us. And that's why they need to kill him. And with Dawkins' help, they feel like this brotherhood finally can. And so then we get Mystique thinking about how she wants to be in charge of the Brotherhood and kind of planning to make a power play as Sabretooth comes in and kind of expresses some doubts. And then it turns out it's not really Sabretooth, it's Psylocke. And Mystique has been tricked by X-Force. And Psylocke looks in Mystique's head and says, well, Sabretooth thinks, or at least she thinks that Sabretooth thinks that this is the done deal, that Apocalypse, or Evan's going to turn into Apocalypse. Wolverine's like, I taught him to be strong, but Psylocke's like, well, if he has been turned, he's become the thing we feared in the first place. Wolverine says, he ain't going to go dark on us, not Evan. And Nightcrawler's like, no, we need to be ready for this. Be prepared to kill the child. And then Psylocke takes a big stand here. And kind of calls out Wolverine on the whole double standard of X-Force. And they've been killing all these people. And they're talking about killing Evan. But so are we going to kill Dawkins too? And Wolverine kind of backtracks and says, no, that's different. And Psylocke basically calls BS and says, no, it's not different. If we can kill Evan for something he hasn't done yet, and she, she has a really good line here. Um, so we're willing to kill Evan to prevent something he might do, but Dawkins gets a pass for what he's already done. And we see some of the anger here. And basically, Psylocke just said, she makes a hard line in the sand. If we're going to continue on this mission as X-Force, we're not killing anybody. Kind of the X-Man stand. But it's kind of weird in X-Force, because the whole point is that they do the things the X-Men can't do. So you get this whole kind of uh, psychological confrontation in the ethics of X-Force. And that's really interesting. And then she turns around and is like, where's Deadpool? And so we have Evan studying this suit. You got some nice panels of him. I really like the way Nono draws uh, Evan. Like, a lot. I like the way he draws him a whole lot. He's basically studying this suit. And we have a voice in Deadpool Yellow that says, I couldn't do it the first time around, but I can do it now. We end up with a full page of Deadpool with a sword out and a gun pointed towards Evan. It looks like he's about to pull the trigger on the mission. And then next we have an awesome cover and apparently what is the year of Sabretooth. And this cover is a great picture of Wolverine and Sabretooth duking it out. It looks really really sweet. And I can't wait for that. So obviously we have a good battle coming. So I guess it's a great issue. Um, 
I thought it was really good. The story's really moving along uh, and kind of back into the excuse me, the meat of the story and the and what like is really going on with the the new brotherhood and what they're trying to do to Apocalypse and X Force trying to prevent that. Yeah, I have to wonder what this confrontation between Psylocke and Wolverine leads to. Is this a catalyst for this possible relationship that's been hinted at that is in possibly in the future, according to the last couple issues? Or is this a deterrent, kind of a roadblock, saying that in back in our regular timeline that that's not going to happen the way it happened in the alternate future? Does Psylocke's kind of line in the sand cause Wolverine to rethink some things? Or does it drive a wedge between them? And I'm not real sure what I think about that. Um, I'd like to hear some of your opinions. Uh, you can email uh, or go to Facebook or whatever. Uh, the email is snitcast.yahoo.com That's S-N-I-K-T-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com And it's in the show notes as usual. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I feel like what this means for X-Force is Wolverine's tenure as leader of the X-Force coming to a close. Um, is Apocalypse, Kid Apocalypse really going to become Apocalypse? Is Evan going to live up to his name? Or is the three hours from now something that could be changed? Or is that something that's definitely happening? I'm not sure. Now, we've had a lot of, like, time jumping and possible realities in this story arc, so I don't really know for sure what we got there. And I'm not sure if I'm ready to. Um, I think eventually we need to see some culmination of the struggle with Evan between who he feels like he is and who he may or may not be destined to be and kind of fighting that evil destiny with the good kid we've seen so far. And I don't know if I'm quite ready for that to be resolved yet. But on the other hand, I I know that whatever happens with X-Force in the upcoming Marvel now, and I don't even know if Rick Remender will still be writing it or not, I think there's definitely a sense that he wants to kind of wrap up this story arc and I don't I don't blame him for wanting to finish it his way. And so maybe that means accelerating the struggle with the kid apocalypse. I don't know. I would like to have seen that take a lot longer and maybe it still will. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly where the story's going to end up if we'll get a definite answer out of it or if it'll just lead to more question marks for more development later. I'm not sure. Again, we'd love to hear what anybody else thinks on that. Whether they think we're going to get a full-fledged apocalypse or even if the scene from, from the front of this book is true but it's not permanent. Like maybe... Evan has a lapse into Apocalypse and then realizes, hey, this is not what I want for myself. Or maybe he goes all the way and embraces it. I, you know, there's a lot of possibilities and 
there's some potential for some really exciting stories. But but back to the the question. Um, I don't know what Wolverine's future on this team is. You know, I don't know what the future of X-Force is in the Marvel Now post-AVX world. You know, because you have all this after AVX, we have this A plus X, and then you have the Uncanny Avengers, which Remender is writing. And so, I don't know, I get the idea that the sensibility of the kind of the new status quo, which may actually be new this time, instead of just in air quotes, is that the Avengers and X-Men are both going to realize that they've had some shortcomings and how they've dealt with each other, and it looks like there's going to be a lot of combining of teams and rosters and whatnot, and I think the way I interpret that and what I look forward to seeing, what I think we'll see, is that after AVX ends, however it ends, and not seeing Cyclops in the promo for the actual Uncanny Avengers team, then maybe that rendering of him by Quesada wasn't accurate, so maybe he... I stated I didn't think he's going to die AVX, whereas before I thought he was, when that poster changed my mind. And now I may be leaning back towards that our Cyclops does die at the end of AVX. In fact, uh, if you listen to, to the Uncanny X cast, they believe that Wolverine is going to be the one that kills him, and I kind of agree with that, too. Which, you know, that's a good another good X-Men podcast for the whole X-Universe that I really enjoy listening to, so you might want to check it out, too. And plus, you know, a point they brought up also, so not, not to steal too much from them, I'll move on, on from this pretty quickly. But with the whole Bendis bringing the original X-Men from the past to the present, like the more of our characters that we know now that, that can kind of either get out of the way, either through death or going to do something else, you know, the easier it is to tell those stories for Bendis. So, I don't know. But anyway, as far as the future of X-Force, I'm just wondering in this this new kind of status quo I feel like the Avengers and X-Men are combining teams to remain accountable to each other so that there is a greater accountability I feel like it's all going to kind of be under Captain America or maybe Captain America and Professor X cooperating and I don't know if that leaves a place for X-Force if, there, if X-Force does continue as it is, it would have to be even more secretive and even more under the radar. And if that's the case, does Wolverine stay involved? Because he's going to be on the Avengers with Captain America and he's still with this. And I was kind of surprised after the schism that he stayed on X-Force anyway because it was kind of Cyclops' idea and... You know, you have this X-Force book that kind of contrasts what Wolverine's trying to do with the school. And I feel like this conversation with Beast is one of the first kind of insights into the dichotomy that is always Wolverine. Kind of... In fact, Sabretooth says a lot. He even sums it up. He says it very sarcastically and kind of as, an, as a stab. 
But it says that Wolverine tries to keep... It basically says, I'll summarize here, that Wolverine tries to keep the beast in check with his samurai code. And that's why he'll try to do the honorable thing even though he's just a killer like us. That's a loose paraphrase. I didn't want to go back and, and pause to, to find the pages and have have some dead air. But, but yeah, but that kind of sums up. You know, it's funny that Sabretooth... It's cool, like, how well he knows Wolverine. Because that's... Even though he meant it as kind of a slur, it is very true. and kind of sums up the dichotomy of Wolverine. You know, the guy who leads X-Force and is willing to kill versus the guy who started or refounded the school because he didn't want to put the kids in situations not only where they could be killed, but where they would have to make the choice to kill them. To kill themselves. Not to kill themselves as suicide, but to do the killing themselves. <laughs> and, um... And that's part of the reason what I love about Wolverine so much is that internal struggle of his nature versus his honor. You know, Sabretooth makes fun of it, but that's what makes Wolverine so compelling as a character. And I just wonder, though, because even though... So he did stick through X-Force after the schism, even though it was Scott's kind of baby. And even though he doesn't want the X-Men to kill, he stayed in X-Force because I guess he felt like there were still some jobs too dirty. I just wonder, you know, as, as much as he butted heads with Scott, and not to say that he's going to kiss Captain America's butt, I just wonder with stronger accountability if he will still feel like he can run this secret team that is very much against both Captain America and Professor X and whatever's left. I feel like whatever's left from the X-Men is going to be more unified after this. Kind of schism will be kind of done regardless of whether Cyclops survives or not. And so I feel like the more striving to obtain peace kind of back to Professor X's dream is kind of where we're headed a little bit a little bit less of set apart utopia and more of protecting those that fear and hate us I don't know I just I don't know if I see it's going to be interesting to see what X-Force's place is in Marvel now it'll be really interesting to see if, if Wolverine will stay involved. Now, if Wolverine's not involved, but X-Force still exists, who leads it? And my kind of harebrained off-the-wall candidate, my nomination, which I actually kind of would like to see regardless, would be Colossus. And let me tell you where I'm coming from here. Colossus is going to have to deal with the fact that both his time as a juggernaut and whether he returns to that now that he's lost the Phoenix power or not, I'm not sure. But both his dealings with the Sidorak and with the Phoenix Force that he really turned into somebody that was very much the antithesis of the gentle giant we knew as Colossus. And I feel like this could lead to good stories of self-reflection but they could also lead to good stories where he feels very 
fractured and depressed. I wouldn't want the character to stay there. I would eventually want Colossus back to the strong, courageous character that he was and has always been. I wouldn't mind a year or so, or maybe even a little bit longer, of a broken Colossus. One whose spirit is broken. One who is emotionally numb by what's happened to him. And one that is, you know, kind of depressed or whatever. And I'd like to see what he could do with a really secret, like a really off the map. Like, like Wolverine, this team's kind of the Black Ops X-Men team, but it's still kind of an X-Men team. It'd be interesting to see what would happen if X-Force went completely off the grid and didn't even really talk, communicate with the X-Men at large. And who would be on that team? I don't know, but I would like to. I think Colossus would be a good candidate to lead that team. And I don't know. I don't know who else goes on that. You know, talking about taking people off the board. If you bring back the original Angel, then maybe this new Angel, which I'm still not entirely convinced is actually our Angel, then it may just be a new character. Maybe he goes back to X-Force, not as Archangel that was on there before, but as this new Angel character. You know, maybe Quentin Quire does it. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. I've, I've rambled enough, but I'm really interested to see where X-Force lands in the post-AVX Marvel Universe. So, but anyway, as far as rating this issue, I give it three claws. Uh... Couple of small detractions, but overall, it was a great issue with a great cover, a great story, and great art. So, three claws for Uncanny X Force 31. All right, here we go. So, it turns out I'm a little bit of a liar. Uh, a couple episodes ago, when I was talking about Wolverine guest appearances, I said that whenever I got caught up on the Incredible Hulk, I would probably not go backwards and talk about it. But I decided that since I'm not going to cover the Wolverine annual, I would talk about Incredible Hulk number 12 instead. And the reason I'm not going to cover the Wolverine annual is because all the Marvel annuals this year are doing like one big crossover story. And I'm not really very interested in it. So I didn't pick up the Wolverine one because it's a part whatever right in the middle of this crossover that I'm not reading and doesn't really look like it's my thing. So I kind of passed on it. But Wolverine does make an appearance in the Incredible Hulk number 12, part of the Stay Angry arc. We have Jason Aaron, writer, Carlos Pacheco, pencils, Roger Bonet, inks, Frank, Frank Martin, colorist, VCs, Chris Eliopoulos, letterer, and the cover is by Michael Comark. And dude, this cover is awesome. It is like a still from a movie, or maybe like a, a really high end. Like, you know, the new modern video games. 
it's like literally a snapshot of some really good action and it just looks very realistic as far as an action movie or video game realism goes. And basically it's Wolverine dicking it out with the Hulk. Which is always awesome because, you know, like we talked about, or like most people know, Wolverine originally appeared in the Incredible Hulk, so they have a nice, rich history. Um, as far as this arc in general, uh, you know, Jason Aaron kind of started with this reboot of the Incredible Hulk. This on issue 12 now. Excuse me. And his run of this first, I guess, quote-unquote year, 1 through 12, has been really good. I'm going to say that it is probably... There have been good issues, you know, good little arcs here and there, but this has been probably the best long run since Bruce Jones, in my, for my taste, in my opinion. Um, a lot of people really liked what was going on. I think Greg Pak, is he the one that did all the, like, Planet Hulk and World War Hulk? I know that World War Hulk. I know that stuff was really well received, and a lot of it was pretty good. But to me, I don't know. Like, the best kind of two runs since of the 2000s have been uh, Bruce Jones and the now Jason Aaron's run which I really enjoyed and basically what happened in kind of the first big story arc is Banner found a way to split himself from the Hulk with Doctor Doom's help and then it turned out that all this time he's trying to get rid of the Hulk he doesn't know what to do without him he goes a little bit crazy and tries to recreate the Hulk. And the Hulk goes to destroy him. And thinks that he does by blowing up another gamma bomb. And he thinks that Banner's gone. And he kind of just goes off to find himself as just Hulk. But it turns out that Banner's still there. And eventually he kind of comes back. But Banner has some evil plan or some sinister plan maybe it's not completely evil but definitely a plan that the Hulk is not aware of and doesn't know about and so I guess what is happening now is I and this has worked differently in the past but a lot of times in the past Hulk and Banner can kind of share memories sometimes at least like the Hulk would wake up and would know why he was mad or Banner would wake up and no, but in this arc, like we start off, the Hulk wakes up as the Hulk and has no idea what's going on, like he's missing time or whatever. And so he decides that Banner's up to something, and the only way to keep that in control is to, you know, the name of the story arc, to stay angry. And so he goes through a bunch of different things. Um, he fights Dogmen. And uh, Atlantis Hillbillies, which is great. And then Russian space cyborg bears. And then in this issue, he wakes up in a prison buried under Antarctica. And so basically, uh, they find out that Bruce Banner has broken into this prison. And the 
a guy in a snowsuit is explaining the situation. Excuse me. And Wolverine's like, just show us how to get down there. And the guy's like, um, you saw who this was, right? Please tell me there are more Avengers coming. And Wolverine's reply is, if it was Thanos or Doctor Doom breaking into your secret old underground prison, you get Captain America and Thor. But when you got a Hulk problem, you get us. And it's Wolverine and the Thing, and they're going to go down to this prison. And Thing asks, like, aren't we kind of jumping to conclusions? And Wolverine shoots in this great look. Um, so the pencils in this magazine, this comic issue, are great. And the writing, this book has been great. And, you know, it's just a Wolverine guest appearance, so I won't go into as much detail. But basically, Hulk decides that Banner wants, has been playing him for a fool, and he put him in this prison to make him mad, so he's not going to fight. But then something like a little scorpion-looking cyborg, cybernetic scorpion thing Gets on his back and stings him, and he goes berserk. And Wolverine and Thing are arguing over who's going to take the lead. And then they see him going nuts, and we get a nice snicked from Wolverine, so that's cool. And then we get a nice double-page spread that's just awesome of Hulk going at it with Wolverine and Thing. And so I guess the issue, basically, what you have is... Just a really nice brawl. Just a nice old school Marvel brawl between three of the big characters. Hulk, Wolverine, and Thing. And it's great. And the banter between the characters is great. <laughs> you even have a part where, where Hulk makes Wolverine stab himself in the face. And then he takes a broken off piece of Thing and he crushes it and blows the dust the thing dust in Wolverine's eyes. And there's just, I don't know, there's just, they kind of work their way through this prison. You know, Wolverine, or Hulk at one point realizes that there's, there's something on his back that's driving him nuts. And he asks Wolverine to cut it off. And Wolverine says, Sure, bub, just hold real still and I'll cut lots of things off you. Which I thought was great. And then there's more and more fighting. Eventually, they kind of end up back on the surface of Antarctica. And Holt decides he's going to try to play a different card and calms down to see if Banner will freeze up there. And then that's kind of much it. Then Hulk wakes up in a lab. I don't know if it's in the same place or not. Because Banner has just kind of walked off into the blizzard. And basically, he just he tells the Hulk he's on a screen. I don't know if he's separated or just like the screen is showing what's inside of his brain. Because there is stuff hooked up to Hulk's head. But basically, Banner says he all these things he's been making the Hulk do. He's found a way to create a serum to actually finally end the Hulk. But basically, what we care about is Wolverine and Hulk... Wolverine and Thing go toe-to-toe with the Hulk, and most of this book is either fighting or bantering during the fight, and it's pretty awesome. So, you know, I'll wrap it up. I'll keep this pretty short. 
I'm going to say this issue got three claws. A very stellar, very solid guest appearance. Of course, it helps that Jason Aaron wrote Wolverine and is now writing Wolverine and the X-Men. So I, I feel like he gets the character. I, I, he's a really good writer anyway. So this cameo is kind of better than you're just kind of one-off sometimes because he's he's had experience writing really good arcs with Wolverine. So it makes sense to kind of just naturally plug him into a really good Hulk arc. So anyway, yeah, uh, give Incredible Hulk number 12 three claws. If you're not reading this book and you like the Hulk at all or you like Jason Aaron at all, you probably should be. Okay, well, I don't know where I'm going to stick this, but I'll stick this little section somewhere. All right, cool. All right, and now we have a bonus segment of And the X-Men. We had a second issue of Wolverine and the X-Men, number 17. Came out this last week. It is... Jason Aaron is the writer. Michael Allred's the artist. Laura Allred's the colorist. VCs Clayton Cowles, or Coles, I'm not sure which one's right, is the letterer. And the cover is by Michael and Laura Allred. The cover's cool. We get a nice uh, Allred Wolverine with his claws popped. We even get him saying, Bub. And we have Dupe, or Slimer, in a Wolverine costume. I gotta say, the cover's probably the highlight of this issue for me. I can kind of take it or leave it. I will admit, I've not read much Dupe. I think it's cool that Allred got to do this issue, since I'm pretty sure he created Dupe. I know... He was in that run of, of X-Statics or X-Force, whatever. I, it was X-Statics, but it was basically the continuation of X-Force that, that Auron did with a bunch of new characters, and Deep was one of them. So I'm glad he gets to come back and draw this story, but it falls a little flat for me, and I'll kind of go into why in a minute. Uh, basically, the issue is Wolverine is getting a status report from Deathlock that basically says everybody's working too hard, the school's understaffed, and he's a horrible headmaster because he's never there. Oh, which is probably uh, valid. And he says he knows what everybody does except for one person, and Wolverine's like, oh, I know who it is before you say it. But let me tell you, he's more important than he looks. And we walk up on Deep sleeping in a security desk, and Deathlock actually cracks a joke. says, perhaps once he wakes, Deep can tell us what that is. Basically, we get flashbacks of Wolverine trying to recruit Dupe to protect the school when he's not there. And I just gotta say, this to me, I've never really read much Dupe. I'll admit that right off the bat. I don't really care for the concept, but I don't really know that much about what he started off as. So I don't know how true this is or isn't to his original character. The dupe in this issue is like the trope of tropes. It's like a super trope. It's a guy that looks goofy, harmless, kind of stupid, but in reality, he's more than meets the eye and he's a super badass. I mean, I don't know. I just I feel like that's overplayed. And I don't know. There's a lot of things about this issue that bother me. For one, there's a lot of funny stuff. There's uh, particularly 
why Wolverine is trying to recruit Duke. Duke's kind of blackmailing him into doing all these things before he says yes, before he agrees to it. And one of them is Wolverine has to go on stage in a Cyclops costume and say, my name is James, and this is my impression of Cyclops. Pause. With six-inch claws stabbed in his face, and you get a, the only snick to the magazine, followed by a shunk and an arg, and you have Duke laughing as apparently Wolverine has stabbed himself in the face in the Cyclops costume off-panel. That was funny. And you know, there's a lot of other good lines because Jason Aaron is funny. I feel like the thing I like most, or one of the things I like most about Jason Aaron's writing is not just that it's comedy, it's comedic timing. Aaron, I feel like, is a master. You know, like, you've got battles, you got stuff going on, you got a lot of just good, heavy comic book writing. And sometimes you might see it coming, but a lot of times you don't. You get really nice one-liners and plays on words and really clever jokes in the midst of very serious stories. And that makes them really, really funny. Even when you see it coming, it's, it's usually still pretty clever. And I usually still laugh out loud in a lot of Jason Aaron's humor in the books. The thing that kind of bothered me about this one and I felt like all the humor, like I was getting jabbed into my rib cage with the elbow, like, oh, <laughs> get it? See that? <laughs> get it? I don't know. Some of it's still funny, but it just felt more forced. It's probably my least favorite book of this run so far. I just, I don't know. I, I don't want to complain too much because I love Jason Aaron and I like Mike Alvin's art. Though I thought it was funny that Wolverine's walking around in full uniform with his, I mean, he's got his hood down, which we see a lot. But he's, he's wearing everything but his gloves. And I don't know why, like, it just, and they're not in his pocket or hanging off his belt or laid over his shoulder. He's just, he's in costume, but without the gloves. I thought that was just kind of weird. That's, you know, that's kind of nitpicky, but whatever. I also thought this was a really weird place for a standalone issue. Kind of one that doesn't really matter that much. Next week, AVX number 12 comes out, the end of AVX. And the next issue of this book, which will come out after that, has Phoenix Cyclops, you know, with some of the, either, I don't know if he's like trying to recruit or threatening some of the students at the school. But by the time that comes out, AVX is over. And I'm going to assume I could be way off, but based on what I've seen from Marvel now, Cyclops is not going to come out of this with a phoenix power if he even comes out alive. So I feel like maybe these two issues should have switched and we should get the AVX tie-in now and get the dupe kind of one-off issue after AVX is over. That's just me, I guess. Um, The best part about the issue is where before you actually see the cover for next issue... You have the bottom of the last page says, Next issue, Duke versus Galactus, parentheses, not really. That to me was probably my second favorite part next to the, uh, the Wolverine stabbing himself as Cyclops. So, I don't know. Um, like I say, kind of take away this issue. I'm going to give it one claw. If I did have claws, I would go one and a half, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go one claw. 
I felt like it just kind of missed a little bit. Maybe a good idea, but I didn't really find Duke that entertaining. It was just way too tropey for me. And the humor was a little bit too slapsticky. I mean, there's even a scene with Duke and Howard Duck. You know, and, and the scene where Kitty's teaching class about the history of the Xaviers and they hear about a mysterious green floating guy back in pioneer days and you see Duke going up by the window with a coonskin hat and arrows sticking in his butt. I don't know. It, some of the stuff would be funnier if it wasn't surrounded, if it wasn't just joke after joke after joke. Then a lot of the jokes would probably work better. But the issue as it is, as it's written, as it was printed, I didn't really care that much for. So I gave it one claw. And um, all right, we'll move on. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Tried to keep it from going too, too long. Um, like I said, please, please uh, join the Facebook page or like the Facebook page. It's in the show notes. Um, leave some comments. Leave some iTunes reviews. Even if they're not good, I don't care. Just do something. Uh, <laughs> email me at, like I said, snitcast at yahoo.com. It's all on the website. Um, so I want to give a couple of shout-outs to people that have shown me some love on their podcast. Um, first, I mentioned them before, but uh, the Danger Room podcast is going through all the old X-Men from the start. It's really good and really funny, very enjoyable. Uh, you can find them at redcatproductions.com slash danger room. So go check them out if you like old X-Men stuff, which you should. And if you like stuff from the Distinguished Competition, which I like a lot of DC stuff now, especially in the New 52. Um, also, a great, great, great DC podcast is a Raging Bullets, and that's at RagingBullets.com. Go check that out. Uh, they're currently doing all the Zero issues, so that's really fun. Um, I don't know what, ish- what episode I'll do next. Uh, I do have a special episode... I don't know if it'll be six or seven, but I have that in the works. It's got to get the schedule with the time to record it and then, you know, obviously get it edited and get it up. But I don't know if that'll be before or after the next month's books, but it'll be right around there. So uh, keep your ears peeled for that. I think you'll enjoy it. Not going to say exactly what it is. Well, actually, yes, I will. Screw, <laughs> screw the suspense. Uh, me and a buddy are going to be going over Wolverine's first appearance. So that should be a lot of fun. I actually have a co-host. I will wait and introduce him later. Give me, give me some surprise. We're really looking forward to that. Looking forward to having somebody else on an episode with me, and that should be a lot of fun. So uh, you guys, be sure to check that out. That'll either be right before or right after the uh, books for October. So, um, all right, we'll take care. Talk to you later. Bye.